so we're in the book of Galatians. Working our way through the book of Galatians. Two more studies in the book of Galatians tonight and tomorrow night. And we'll have one in the books for the Lord's glory, right? Going through this book in which Paul talks about the grace of God. Tonight we're going to finish chapter 5. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. And a study I'm calling The Great Conflict. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and, Lord, for the chance to come together, Lord, and to learn more about you. Lord, that's really our desire is to learn more about you. Lord, and to be able to use these things to teach others. Lord, to be able to use these things, Lord, as, as tools for you to build us, Lord, to make us men and women who love you and who follow after you. So, Lord, we just ask that your spirit would take these things, Lord, and transform us by your glory, Lord, and, and, uh, and, Lord, for, and Lord, and by your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. So, if I had to nominate the greatest internally conflicted person ever seen in a fictional movie or on TV, I would have to nominate Gollum from the, the Lord of the Rings. I mean, I think you would agree. I mean, he's like the greatest internally per- person, right? Yeah, he's, uh, he's an interesting character, you know, Master loves us, you know, and then he's going to kill Master kind of thing. Now, a close runner-up, I would have to say a very close runner-up, would be Gobble, played by Cookie Monster, and the, and the Sesame Street parody called The Lord of the Crumbs. It's a classic. Uh, my kids love it. You know, and, you know, he wants to eat the eggs, but, you know, the, the, you know they're the precious, but he can't, and you know, he has to wait for the cookies and things like that. Whether it's Gollum or Gobble, they both experienced a serious internal conflict. Well, Paul in our passage this evening shows us that you and I as believers also experience a serious factual internal conflict as we abide in grace. And that conflict is between our flesh and the spirit. So as we continue Paul's application of grace, we're going to focus on three things. Number one, the conflict. Number two, the contrast. And number three, the choice. And so first in verses 16 through 18, we see the conflict. So, so far in this book, as we've worked our way through, we've seen Paul demonstrate through both logic and scripture that the believer is not saved by the law or by legalism, but we're saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is going to continue on the same reasoning in chapters 5 and 6, but his focus is going to be more on the practical working out of God's grace in our life. He's going to, as McGee would say, put the rubber to the road, you know, kind of thing. You know, he's going to apply it to our life. That's my McGee impression. It's really bad. I'm sorry. Now, he, Paul's going to show us in these two chapters four things that God does in our life through grace that was not possible through the law. So far, we've seen two of those things, two out of the four. Last week, we saw that we have been made free from the law through Christ. We have liberty in Christ But second, we have the love of God poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And Paul says we can actually fulfill the law, something that was impossible for the Jew to do. You see, the passage that Paul quoted there in um, verses 13 through 15, he says, love others as yourself. That was given in the book of Leviticus. But the problem was, is while God stated that command, he never gave them the power to fulfill it. But in Christ, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have the love of God poured out in our hearts. And now as we love others by the power of the Spirit, we fulfill the law. 
Paul's gonna, um, tonight is going to address a third thing. We're going to see that by God's grace and by his spirit, we can overcome the flesh. The law can never empower a person to overcome the flesh. It would only incite the flesh and show you that you're a sinner. And fourth and finally next week, as we close, we'll look at our responsibilities as members in the body of Christ. And so let's get back to this conflict. Now, Paul's going to begin talking about this conflict with victory. I like that. He says, guys, there's a conflict, but let me tell you beforehand, there's victory. You already have victory, and all you have to do is remember it and recognize it. He begins in verse 16 by saying, I say then, I say, I say, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so the believer is given both insight and assurance in this verse. We're given both insight and assurance. First, our insight is how we can be victorious in our conflict over the lust of the flesh. Now, some of the lusts are going to be described in verses 19 to 21. But the victory that we have is not by walking in the works of the law. Notice that. It's not by the law, Paul says, but it's by the Spirit of God. As we depend upon the Spirit, as we rely upon His power, upon His direction, God will give us victory in our Christian life. A great example of what it is to walk in victory in the Spirit-filled life is to look at Christ as you read the Gospels there. And we see Christ, we see him dependent upon the Father, we see him led by the Father, we see him empowered and filled with the Spirit of God, and that's what it looks like to live a Spirit-filled life. And even when he was tempted there on Matthew chapter 4 on the Mount of Transfiguration, or excuse me, the Mount of Temptation, the, the other T mountain, he was able to overcome that by how? Relying upon the Word of God. Satan would throw out a temptation, and he would say, no, it, it is written, it is written, it is written. So that's our example. That's how we battle. We rely upon God, upon His Spirit, and upon His Word. Also, we're given assurance in this verse. The believer is promised that if we choose to walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's a promise. Paul says there's power in the Spirit of God as you rely upon Him. You will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now, in the actual conflict here is in verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And so Paul here points out the contenders in this conflict. They are the flesh and the spirit. So let's take a moment real fast and kind of define these so we can understand them before we talk about the actual conflict itself. First, the spirit. The spirit can refer to both the indwelling Holy Spirit that we're given when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, I mean, also our regenerated, immaterial spirit that we have um, regenerated when, when we put our faith in Christ. You see, the Bible says that before we put our faith in Jesus, we're dead in trespasses and sins. We're slaves of sin. That's not a good situation. We're dominated by our sin nature. Every facet of our immaterial nature is totally corrupted and dominated by our sin. Our spirit, our soul, our mind, our conscience, our will, in our heart. We're totally depraved through and through. But because of the, this domination over us before we were in Christ, we had no power whatsoever to overcome the flesh or to say no to sin. Now, it's important to note that I'm not saying that every unbeliever is as bad as they could be. I mean, obviously, people can be a lot worse. Sometimes they are. So there are some people who, you know, seem, um, you know, who can be conservative, even though they're not um, a believer. 
but nevertheless, they have no power to say no to their sin nature because they're totally corrupted by sin. But only by God's grace can a person, you know, in his spirit overcome the flesh. Now, as we put our faith in Jesus, something happens. We become temples of the Holy Spirit. We're made alive by the Holy Spirit. We're now a new man that is being renewed daily by the Holy Spirit. And this renewing is often referring to our mind as, as God transforms us. He makes us a new person in the Lord. The Holy Spirit teaches us to walk in God's will. He convicts us and he leads us. He gives us a hunger for the word of God. As Peter says, as newborn babes, we desire the pure milk of the word. And babies, right, they want to eat. And the same, th- and same thing for us as believers. As we're born again, we'll have a desire for God's word. We also have the spirit of God living in us, Paul says in Galatians 4, 6, who cries out, Abba, Father. And so there's a dramatic change once the spirit takes control of our life and our heart. We're a new creation in Christ. But while we're born again, while we're regenerated, while the spirit lives in us, nevertheless, the flesh still remains. The term flesh has been used a different way, a, a number of different ways in scripture. It's been used in reference to, the, you know, to our physical body. It's also been used generally of, of unbelievers. But in this context, the flesh does not refer specifically to the body, but the, but the unregenerated nature that exists in the believer after we're saved. Even though we're Christians, as long as we're in this body, we will deal with evil impulses and desires that are left over from our old sin nature. Now listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. He says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now notice this. There's two specific phrases used in these verses here. They are the old man and the body of sin. The old man. The old man refers to our sin nature, that which we received from Adam. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, Sin corrupted the line of man. And so sin is passed on from Adam to all men. So therefore, we're all born in trespasses and sin. Now, the only person who wasn't born in trespasses and sins was Christ, who was born of a virgin. He didn't have a physical father. Now, this inherited sin results in death, which means man is depraved and separated from God. We're born um, separated from God without hope apart from God's grace. But also, there's the body of sin, Notice that Paul says that our old man, our sin nature, was crucified with Christ. And so this sin nature that we have from Adam, when we believe in Christ, it was crucified with the Lord. It, it was put to death with the Lord. But nevertheless, while it was put to death, past tense, the body of sin still remains active in the present. And the body of sin is the flesh. So because of sin nature, the old man has been put to death, we no longer need to give in to or be controlled by our flesh. And so that's what, that's what Paul is getting at in this passage. We can walk in victory because the sin nature has been put to death. It no longer has power over us. Yes, the flesh still does remain, these evil impulses and desires, but we don't have to yield to it because we're not controlled by our sin nature anymore. We're controlled by the Spirit of God if we'll choose to yield to him. I love what Paul says at the end of this. He says, know this. It reminds me of the old G.I. Joe cartoon. Remember that? No one is, no one is half the battle. They would always have that thing at the end. And Paul said, know this, 
Because as we walk in victory, that's where it begins. It begins by understanding what Christ has done for you. And that sin no longer dominates you as a Christian. So the evil impulses, impulses you have, you don't have to give in to it, the Bible says. You can choose to say no by the Spirit of God. So those are the contenders. Now let's discuss the contention, the conflict that goes on. Paul goes on and says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The word lust can be translated desire. So in other words, each of these natures desires to control and overcome the other. These two are contrary to one another, Paul says. They are in a constant, perpetual, face-to-face battle. And they're in the battle for your mind, your heart, your will, your body, your soul, everything about you. It wants to control you. Now, for evidence, for evidence of this, Paul says at the end of verse 17, so that you don't do the things that you wish. And so if you're like, ah, that's not true. Well, Paul says, yeah, so you don't do the things that you wish. We all know this to be true. We all know this conflict is there. When you seek to serve God and step out and walk in the Spirit, what happens? You get opposed by your flesh. Now, often it's a temptation from Satan to tempt your flesh, you know, but, but nevertheless, we know that it's there. On the other hand, there's a good way in which, we, you know, in which God works through the Spirit. And, and, you know, so sometimes we will be fleshly and the Holy Spirit will convict us. He'll, he'll, draw us uh, you know, he'll draw us back. And so as a believer, we have these two natures, the flesh and the Spirit. Now, Paul pointed this own conflict out in himself. In Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, let me just read it to you. It's kind of a lengthy passage, but it really, it's like a, a poetical, you know, kind of a statement that, that Paul makes here and talks about his flesh. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against my, the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I, may, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And so every mature believer like Paul recognizes this conflict. Even Paul as an apostle of God recognize this conflict as he walked with Christ. And I believe the reason why he experienced this conflict is because as he drew closer to Christ, he realized more and more and more the fact that he had a flesh. Paul realized that even though he was born again, there was still that principle of sin in, his, you know, in him. It was his flesh. But while he still had a flesh, it wouldn't keep him down. He would continue to press forward and be able to overcome it through faith in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit. Now, verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. Paul established that the victorious Christian life is by walking in the Spirit. Now, this includes 
the aspect of being led by the Spirit. So Paul takes his time now and reminds the Galatians that based upon the fact that they were born again and led by the Spirit, it shows that they were not under the law. And so, once again, the context of this book is that these Judaizers were coming in and they were teaching these Gentile Christians that in order for them to be saved, they needed to convert to Judaism and begin keeping the Old Testament law. And Paul wrote to them, as we saw the last couple of weeks, and says, no, that's not true. You're saved by grace through faith. And now Paul once again reminds them here and says, so listen, guys, you're born again, right? Yeah. You have power over the flesh through the spirit. Yeah. Well, then you're not under the law because if, you're under, because if you're born again, you're no longer under the law. And also, after all, why turn back to the law from the victorious, spirit-filled life that God has promised all believers? You see, the law or any system of legalism cannot give us victory over the flesh or its appetites. Paul said that to the Colossians in chapter 2 when he wrote to them. He wrote to them and he says, listen guys, you're being seduced by these legalists. He says, don't listen to them because you know, all these different rituals and things that they're opposing on you, they have no power over the flesh. But only by the Spirit of God can we overcome our sinful nature. Now we come to our second point. In verses 19 through 24, we see the contrast between the flesh and the Spirit. So first we see the flesh and its works in verses 19 to 21. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so just in case, you know, we don't know what the works of the flesh are, and just in case we don't think that the works of the flesh are a big deal, Paul says, let me list a couple for you and, and the things that they lead to. And so, I mean, you know, there's a number of things here, you know, and scholars actually have broken them down into a couple categories, those which refer to sexual sins, those which refer to idolatry, such as sorcery, and, um, and worshiping of idols. Talks about the internal temptations such as contentions and jealousies and wrath, selfish ambitions. And then he refers to those other things which affect our standing in the body of Christ, such as heresies, envy, um, you know, and then he talks about murder and drunkenness and, and all these things. Revelries refers to drunken parties that were going on in the day. Paul talked about all these things and he says, and then the like, which is anything else which doesn't conform to the law of God. I have definitions for all these in my notes if, if you want to look them up, but we're short on time, so we're just going to breeze through them. Uh, but, you know, all those which are the like, which is anything that is contrary to the word of God and the nature of God, the Bible says, um, is sin. And now he reminds the Galatians, as he did in the past when he was there with them, he says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Plain and simple, Paul says, if a person is practicing these things, they're not going to go to heaven. Now, he's not saying that if a believer falls into sin, they're going to lose their salvation. But what he's saying is that if a person claims to be a Christian and yet practices a habitual lifestyle of walking in the flesh, they will not go to heaven because they're not born again. Because a person cannot live a habitual lifestyle in sin. And so it's um, very clear. Now, in contrast to the carnival of works that we just saw, in the outworking um, of these things, now we see the outworking of God's spirit in the life of a Christian in verses 22 through 24. 
It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. Now, commenting on these verses, I like what the Bible, um, Bible Knowledge Commentary says. It says, the word fruit is singular, indicating that these qualities constitute a unity of all which should be found in a believer who lives under the control of the Spirit. In any ultimate sense, this fruit is simply the life of Christ lived out in a Christian. So that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's being like Christ. And so as we walk with the Lord, God is going to make us more like Jesus. He's going to work these things through our life. It'll be a natural fruit-bearing, um, you know, in our life as we walk with him. Notice some of these things. Love. The word love is agape. And this is a supernatural and sacrificial love that God will give us both for himself and for others. There's joy. This word refers to a deep abiding rejoicing that is not based upon our circumstances. There's a peace. The peace of God refers to a deep inner peace. It's the total opposite of worrying and fretting. Long suffering. Now I'm told that this Greek word is macrothumia. It's a pretty cool word, right? Macrothumia, which means to be long tempered. Scholars say that long suffering is used in relationship with people, while endurance, similar word, is in reference to circumstances. So, in other words, God will give us the ability to bear long with people, to love others even when they're weak. Kindness. Kindness is love and mercy in action. Goodness. Goodness can be understood as an uprightness of the soul, and also it can be understood as reaching out to others with good even though they don't deserve it. Faithfulness is to be trustworthy and dependable as a servant of God. Gentleness. The word gentle and meek come from the same Greek word. Gentleness in this context means strength under control. And, you know, it could also be called meekness. Now, I like what uh, Adrian Rogers said. If you think meekness is weakness, you know, try being meek for a week, and you'll see that meekness is not weakness. And also, if you think meekness and gentleness is weak, Jesus himself called himself gentle in Matthew eleven twenty nine, And Jesus was the most manliest man uh, that, that has ever lived. He was able to harness strength under control, even at the point of being beaten, as they brought him out there as he was draped in purple with the crown on his head, and they were mocking him. He could have called down legions of angels, but yet he chose to submit to the Father's will in order for you and I to be saved. That's true gentleness. Self-control. Self-control means that the believer has the ability supplied by the Holy Spirit to say no to the flesh and its evil desires. We have the ability to control ourselves. Reminds me of a parent, huh? Control yourself, kind of thing. You know, and... And, you know, the, but, you know, the Lord does. We have no excuse. Oh, I couldn't help it. Well, if you're a Christian, yes, you can. You have to give in to it. Or, you know, you don't have to give in to it. You have to give in to the Spirit, and he'll give you power. Now, just as Paul reminded the Galatians in verse 18 that they, know, that they are no longer under the law because of their victory, Paul now at the end of this verse reminds the believers that they didn't need the law because God, through his grace, was working to produce in them what the law could never do. You see, the law wanted to produce holiness, right? It was a holy standard. But yet it could never change a person from the inside. Only God by his spirit can change a person from the inside. So once again, it's just another apologetic argument from Paul to show that they didn't need to return to the law. Verse 24, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. One last demonstration that Paul points out concerning the spirit-filled life 
is that if you live in the Spirit, you'll recognize that you're dead to sin. James says faith without works is dead. Now, he's not saying that, you, you know, that we, everyone needs to work in order to be justified. He's not saying that. But he's saying that as we walk with the Lord, our faith will produce works. It's a natural outflow of our faith. If you'll lay down your life and you're born again, then there, then there will be a denial of the flesh and its sinful passions. Now we come to our third and final point in verses 25 and 26. We see the choice. The choice is ours. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The believer has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. We have the ability to say no to the flesh. We have the complete Word of God, and we have the promise that the Holy Spirit will convict us and to lead us into all truth. I think this could be described as living in the Spirit, right? But our part then is to respond to this and walk in the Spirit. It's to tonight and daily choose to say no to the flesh and yes to the Lord, to be dependent upon him. The other hand, we can choose to become conceited and prideful and hinder the work of God in our life. We can choose to rather stumble other people and provoke them to sin. We can choose to take our eyes off Christ and put them on others and this world, which only hurts us. Tonight, let's choose Christ and and his spirit and have victory that he has given us. Amen? Amen.